Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today I'm going to be speaking with a man who has a client roster that has racked up more than $80 million in poker winnings. My guest today is mental game expert and hypnotherapist Elliot Rowe. Elliot is a master at helping folks identify and extinguish their fears on the green felt, clear and focus their minds, remove their own mental roadblocks, and achieve their goals regardless of how audacious they may be. Elliot has worked one-on-one with more than 200 individual poker players, including future Chasing Poker Greatness guest Fedor Holtz, former Chasing Poker Greatness guests Jonathan Little, Matt Berkey, and Jeff Gross, 2017 World Series of Poker champ Scott Blumstein, Brian Rast, Alex Foxen, Ben Heath, the list goes on and on and on. They all credit Elliot with helping them to manage tilt, remain calm and focused during some of the most stressful moments in their life, and also to cultivate and create a healthy, sustainable mindset that allows them to continue to evolve and compete at the highest of high levels. Elliot also produces two podcasts, one of which, The Mindset Advantage, was specifically created to help poker players improve their mental game. He regularly publishes highly informative self-help and mental game articles on his own blog, and if all of that wasn't enough, he also created the guided mindset enhancement app, Primed Mind. During our conversation, Elliot reveals some of the most successful techniques for conquering your fears, changing your thought processes, and even how to analyze your own mind to figure out where your worst mental game issues are coming from. While there isn't much in the way of strategic X's and O's in this episode, I'm going to make a bold claim and say that Elliot's wisdom on dealing with your emotions while playing poker is more valuable than any single piece of strategic advice you'll ever receive. As the greatest poker player of all time, Chip Reese once said when asked about what separated him from the other living legends he battled against on a daily basis, quote, some players have a better A game than me, but the difference is their D game is a lot worse than their A game, whereas my A game and D game aren't that different. Elliot's genius lies in guiding folks to do just that, elevate their D game so it looks very similar to their A game. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Elliot Rowe on Chasing Poker Greatness. Elliot, how are we doing, my man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it for the last couple of weeks. And uh, to start us off, I like to start at the beginning, typically. I think that's a pretty good place to start. Could you tell me the story of how did you get into helping poker players improve their mindset? Well, the long story or the short story? We got it. We got an hour and a half here, so let's oh, go so long. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it all started with me having a fear of flying. So I was working at the time in renewable energy. I uh, had a fear of flying, 
and I was recommended to see a hypnotherapist and she managed to resolve my fear of flying in an hour. And it absolutely blew my mind um, because I was at a stage where I wouldn't take long haul flights. I'd sort of refused holidays and things like that. And suddenly I didn't have this issue any longer. And the way that that worked was she sort of got me into this very deep, relaxed state and started talking about my fear of flying. And a memory from childhood came up of being around three years old and being shown a picture of a small jet and being told it was sort of linked to my grandfather's business and his business partners had died in it. And what had happened was I'd sort of linked that into my mind that planes are really dangerous. And this wasn't a memory that I actually remembered at the time going into the session. Um, afterwards, I felt completely different about flying. I spoke to my mum and sort of said, hey, this memory came up. Is this real? And she said, yeah, of course that's real. That happened. And I was like, oh, wow. So something I couldn't remember had come up in a session and I didn't have a fear of flying anymore. I then sort of decided I'd learn hypnotherapy, thinking I'd help friends and family. I did a course and sort of started doing that. And then as I was working with friends and family, people would recommend people and it just started to build. So I started becoming sort of successful with hypnotherapy and decided that sort of looking for performance might be a good idea. And I started helping some golfers. And um, one of my friends works in the poker industry. I, I was never played poker at that time. And she said, hey, if you're helping golfers with stress, I think there's poker players could really do with some help. Um, so I put an advert on 2 plus 2 and basically said, hey, I don't know if this will work, but I'm willing to do it for free. Who wants to try? And I started working with people for free. They started having good results and I got good testimonials. And then I started charging. Um, and then I got lucky and everyone won everything for a few people. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and really from that point forward, you know, it just sort of grew and grew and grew. And, you know, I've managed to work now with some of the most successful poker players in the world and helped some of them on their journey to reaching that point. And it's just been a lot of fun. So very surprising result at, from going from free helping folks for free to, you know, being, being the, the mindset coach to, and who are these poker players that are ultra successful? So, I mean, Fedor Holtz is probably the most well-known. Haven't heard of him. No. <laughs> uh, Scott Blumstein, I helped with the main event. Um, Brian Rast, Matt Berkey, John Van Fleet, Alex Foxen. I'm going to embarrass people by missing them out. Apologies, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a who's who, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a who's who. I mean, you know, it, it's been really, really good. Um, it's something ridiculous. I think it's over 100 million in cashes over the last five years now, which is obviously a pretty huge amount of money to have your clients win. And it's not that many people. So it's, it's been extraordinarily successful. And a lot of them have been kind enough to mention me when they've had their successes. And obviously that's increased the number of people reaching out to, to work with me as well. And to get, so reading your testimonials and just being a human being, when you first think of like hip, hypnotherapy, there's this woo woo aspect of it that can turn mm -hmm. people off. So we only have 90 minutes, but I, I'd like to get into the mechanism, right? Like how exactly does it work as far as your specific example of uncovering this memory that happened when you were three years old, like how does the process work? And then what helps people moving forward? Well, I guess I'll start with that in explaining 
what hypnotherapy isn't is the stage show or the thing you see on TV that most people automatically link to when they think of hypnosis. So they've seen their friends dancing on stage or whatever it might be. That's not what hypnotherapy is. That's predominantly a stage performance with some social pressure and really good audience selection. And that's how they can do those shows. What I do is hypnotherapy. And this is sort of works on virtually everybody. And what you're looking to do is to make the subconscious mind more dominant than the conscious mind. So let's say we take an example of a fear. So my fear of flying or uh, an easy one to, to describe it, a fear of spiders. So everyone, you know, you know, the spider isn't dangerous. However, there are people who have a big fear of spiders. So they know it's not logical, but they are very terrified. What we do is you get to a very relaxed meditative state. The subconscious becomes more dominant than the conscious mind. And you can track back those emotions to where they're coming from. Because if your subconscious didn't know why it was afraid, you wouldn't be afraid. So we bring up, let's say, the emotion of, you know, imagine seeing a spider. How do you feel? Oh, my heart's racing. I feel tense. I feel a pressure in my chest. Okay, when else have you felt this way? Five, four, three, two, one. What's the next memory? And these memories will start to come up around that subject. And then eventually, and with fear of spiders, it's almost always the same one. You end up with an initial sensitizing event, which is the mom or dad overreacting to seeing a spider when the child is a kid. So evolutionarily, we're designed to create fears from that sort of thing. So, you know, if we're in the jungle and it's 50,000 years ago and a tiger jumps out, a baby doesn't know it's dangerous, except for the mother's reaction to the tiger. So next time a tiger jumps out, if you've escaped, you're going to have the similar reaction to the parent who's overreacted. And with the hypnotherapy, all we're looking to do is understand what the subconscious is using as its material to run your program. So it's a bit like, instead of trying to fix a computer through Windows, you're going to the actual code that's running the computer, and you're trying to make adjustments to that code. And that's what I'm really looking to do in poker is... um, Let's say a poker example would be someone who really, a live cash player who struggles with getting three bet. So someone gets overly aggressive or overly anxious if a player keeps three betting them at the table. We'll go into this state, we'll get them very relaxed, start bringing up memories. They'll nearly always bring up being bullied as a child if that's something that triggers them. So we then resolve the bullying issues. So we help them understand that they were safe they got through it, et cetera, et cetera. And then as we've resolved the bullying issues, they go back to the table and the three betting is something they can adjust to rather than having an emotional response to it. Does that make sense as a breakdown of the concept? Yeah, that makes tons of sense. And I I guess, you know, emotions in poker, uh, a lot of people talk about studying and focus on the technical aspect of PO and Sims and what do you do in said spot or, or... you know, whatever. And the emotional impact of poker, poker is an emotional game and humans are driven by emotions. So that makes so much sense that dealing with aggression and the way you react to it emotionally is tied into some sort of earlier experience. And I've never thought about things in that way. Yeah. And it it really is in every part of poker. And I think this is why it generates such an edge for the players who have worked on their mindset. And this isn't just with me. There are other mindset coaches as well who who work on this sort of stuff. But the reason it generates such an edge is because 
it doesn't matter how much you study if you're not able to actually perform the, the, sort of, the decisions in the way that you studied them. So, you know, if you're finishing your sessions and you're saying, well, I should have played it like a different way, but I got emotional, so I got over-aggressive, more study can't help that problem because you already know the answer. You already know what you were supposed to do. So you actually have to work on the mindset so that you're able to actually apply what you know effectively. And that become, I think it just becomes an enormous edge in a field where most people aren't really working on their emotions effectively. And going back to another thing that you said, as far as parents, like I'm a parent myself and just Mm -hmm. the impact you can have on your children and their subconscious from an early age, that's terrifying. (laughs) Number one is, it's pretty terrifying being a parent myself. Um, but yeah, like we're all born with emotions, right? And this is something that, that I've, you know, read about and thought about we're born with emotions, but we don't always know how to deal with our emotions or how to manage them. It's a learned skill, something that that you can learn over time, right? Well, you're born with emotions, but you're not really born with very many fears. Most fears are picked up. So most anxieties are created at some point. So, you know, I think babies are feared of fear, fear falling and they fear loud noises and pretty much everything else is a learned fear from somewhere in life. And those fears are usually what drive those emotions. So if someone gets scared or anxious, that's where the aggression can come from because they're being defensive if that's how they've learned to cope with aggression in their early life or other people shy away to aggression. So you're really just looking at what's the program that's kicking in? What's the evolutionary, you know, how is my body trying to protect me in this situation? And although it's not life and death at the poker table, it's wonderful at amplifying any emotions anyone has. Um, So usually what I see is the person with confidence issues at the poker table has confidence issues in general life the person who's goes on manic tilt and rages at the table also has road rage issues you know i believe you're bringing your issues to the table and poker just amplifies it rather than poker actually creating the emotional problem yeah bubbles to the surface and there's a lot of pressure that goes on with playing especially in a live setting there's social pressure there's just tons of pressure that like you said, amplifies the emotions. One thing that I've noticed as far as my students and talking to people is, or I would just imagine is a problem that you you likely deal with, is seeing spots and not being able to pull the trigger, not getting out of of your comfort zone. Can you speak about that at all? Well, again, I I think it comes down to um, people being willing to apply their technical knowledge. Right. So there's going to be a fear of failure there of some kind, um, some kind of anxiety where do they truly believe the maths or not? You know, they're trying to take a level of control, which they don't really have. So you hear about people trying to, you know, minimize their variance by playing in a different way. And oftentimes they're, they're just playing a low, at a low win rate. So they're not actually really reducing their variance. No, they're increasing um, their variance. Exactly. But it feels to them like they are because they're playing it safe. And really that, you know, that's the sort of thing when it comes to working through with the emotions, um, we'd be, I'd be talking to them about this. We'd then go into the hypnotherapy and sort of saying, okay, why can't you pull the trigger? And you'll probably find there are other parts of their life where they also, you know, the girl they didn't ask out or whatever else where they hold themselves back in certain situations. Um, usually because I mean, fear of success and fear of failure is just an enormous part of this. If you don't try your best, it doesn't feel like a full failure. 
because you can always tell yourself, if I'd worked harder, if I'd done what I know I'm supposed to do, I would be wildly successful. So holding yourself back in some way actually protects the ego a lot. Um, The best examples of this in poker, I guess, would be um, choosing not to do the study you know you should be doing. Or like you say, making plays that you you say, well, I knew the right play, but I decided to do this. And, you know, it's it's my own fault. Well, not working on your tilt. And as we work through these things, um, they'll often talk about being, you know, clever at school, but then choosing not to study for exams. And they're choosing not to study because they're comfortable they'll get a B just going into the exam. But if they study and they get a B, they're going to be really hurt in their ego because they thought they were really clever. But if they got the excuse, well, if I studied, I would have got an A. And it's just this sort of cycle continuing into their professional life. And people see it in other things as well as poker. I believe that for sure. And, you know, we all want to live up to our self-image that that we have in in our own mind. And what I see, like with, you know, I see a path, right? So in poker, you have many decision points. You can go, you can bet one third pot, you can bet 66% pot, you can check race the river. Like there are these decision points. And I know that in my career specifically, I'm always curious and I've always been willing to take a, a more, a less conventional path with my decision-making. And sometimes I completely blow up and end up doing so, like finding myself in this ridiculous situation where I just get absolutely crushed. And, and I try to tell my students like, that's okay. It's okay to get crushed, right? But if you learn from that and you say, okay, well, maybe this didn't work out. Like, how can I tweak this? But if you never take the chance to explore another option to see, you never test an experiment, then you're never really growing. Um, And a lot of that is controlled by fear. Like you said, you're afraid to fail. You're afraid to look stupid. You're afraid to feel stupid. And I believe that pretty much anybody in poker could be served well by removing those fears so you're only one man (laughs) you're only one human with 24 hours in the day right what are some things folks can do on their own that are listening to this show to start the process of improving their mindset um well one of the sort of techniques i tell people to try if, if they're not realistically going to be able to do sessions with me is have a think about the issue that stands out to you at the table. We'll write down a few of these issues. So let's say it's rage tilt. Um, so you get bad beat and you overreact and become very aggressive and perhaps you become obnoxious at the table. Some people do. Once you've written that down, then write down how that feels to you in your body. So what does it feel like when you go into rage? And you know, typically people will say, hot, my chest feels tight, I can feel my adrenaline go, whatever else it might be. Then start to think about other times in your life you felt the same way as far back as possible. So start building that narrative as to, okay, how easily do I get triggered this way? And where could this be coming from? And, you know, typically with rage tilt is usually injustice. You know, someone feels they've been treated unfairly and the person can come up with memories of childhood where, you know, they, the teacher said that they, I don't know, they'd done something wrong when they hadn't done it and they got in trouble, whatever it might be. But these things are really serious to kids. As an adult looking back, it might not look serious, but as a child, you know, being found guilty, as it were, for something you haven't done can be really emotionally difficult. So start writing down those those memories. 
And then the final stage of the process is start looking at those memories through your adult eyes and reframing them rather than seeing them in the way you've been seeing them. So rather than Mrs. Jones was so unfair, I can't believe that she thought I'd thrown the pen in class or whatever it might be, start to see it as Mrs. Jones was a stressed out 40-year-old dealing with 30 kids and she's just lashed out in the classroom and she's just trying to get through her day. And as you start to see the realities of the situation, rather than seeing it as this, you know, the world is picking on me the way a seven-year-old child would see the situation, it starts to take some of the emotion out of this. And then, you know, if you do start to come up with a lot of these things and you're struggling to, to make change yourself, then definitely take that information and find a therapist that you want to speak to and start working through this stuff. So I think that's important. Another thing that you can do, you know, everyone can meditate. Um, I have the primed, primed mind, primed mind app. <laughs> um, I can't speak today. Uh, with which I um, worked on with Fedor, that's got a lot of poker, poker specific meditations in there and hypnotherapy. Or you can use there's other apps. There's Calm. There's Headspace just for just for meditation. And I genuinely believe meditation can really help you control your emotions. Um, if you're not looking to take the therapy path, it's definitely should be your first stop if you're struggling with mindset it should be meditation it sounds uh so that process it sounds familiar to the work of byron katie i think that was uh it's another sort of self-reflection dealing with emotions and understanding the narratives that surround your life Mm -hmm. um another process and as far as letting these things go when you get to the bottom of them what happens if you get to the bottom of it you let it go and then you still struggle. What's the next step it's, there? That, that probably wasn't the root cause. So, so um, you just didn't so find it. Find you the right just thing. didn't find the right thing. Um, so, so what you're looking for, there is always a reason why the subconscious is doing something illogical. So it always thinks it's helping you in some way. Um, so if you find the correct root cause and truly resolve the issue. So within a hypnotherapy session, typically these, these resolutions are actually quite emotional. Most of my clients are crying during the sessions when we release those emotions and sort of work through it and and over potentially benign stuff. So things in childhood at school, which they would never think it would make them cry going back to it and working through it, but there's so much trapped emotion and that's why the subconscious is creating this irrational or illogical response. Um, so these are things that are very difficult to work through on your own to that sort of level. Um, most people hold themselves back from thinking about the very uncomfortable things that have happened to themselves. You know, it's just the way we are. We defend ourselves from the nasty feelings, the difficult situations. But it is possible, and as I say, certainly as a starting point, it's a very good starting point. But most of the time, it makes sense for poker players, especially if you're playing mid to high stakes, to find a professional to work with through these things. Because a small percentage change in the way that you can control your emotions at the table can create a dramatic difference in the results that you can create. And in your just life in general, in all situations that where you're dealing with some sort of rejection or failure, whether it be in business relationships, whatever it is, there's utility across the board, right? Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that you mentioned as well, um, being a parent, you know, obviously I've picked up on this. I'm a parent as well. And we're very cautious and we're still going to mess things up and, you know, still won't be perfect parents. But if you know you have large emotional issues and you're planning to have children relatively soon, I would say working on your emotional issues so that you're not lashing out perhaps in the same way your parents did or you can deal with the stress in a different way, that 
is very, very useful as well. And, you know, that's not poker specific, but really worth considering if you're, because being a parent is, it's a stressful situation, uh, as you're probably aware, Brad. No, I just let them wander into traffic and I just (laughs) hope it works out so that, you know, they won't be afraid of cars for the rest of their life. (laughs) Um, yeah. And as far as EV goes, I know that poker players like EV and they like investment and they like re- return on their investment. So just from a sheer poker sense, I would imagine that the EV with going through these hypnotherapy sessions, it, you know, it's got to be got to be plus EV for for the most part, if you're playing mid to high stakes, for mid, certain. Mid to high stakes. I mean, for myself, probably, you know, it's going to be high stakes and nosebleeds that it makes sense. But there, as I say, there's other people out there doing this. Like there, there's just so many, so many benefits to a lot of therapy in the world, even things such as taking care of your body physically and getting massages and releasing stress and acupuncture. There's just so much value. And I think the way that a lot of people look at it is this sort of like a luxury expense, right? It's like a luxury to go through these things, but Really, it's an investment and very valuable in the long term. I think especially if you're in a game, so a sport, I mean, the people who I'm working with, as I say, professional poker players, traders on Wall Street, CEOs of companies, entrepreneurs, in a lot of these situations, the money's very polarized. So the people in the top 1%, 2% are making virtually all of the money. So if we look at poker, I think according to Google, there are 100 million poker players. You know, who knows how serious that Google response is. But there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of people playing poker. Uh-huh. Most of the money is probably made by the top 30 players. If you look at um, Forex trading, you know, nearly everyone fails at Forex trading. Um, there's a small percentage at the top who make all of the money. Uh, people who start their own businesses, most small businesses fail. There's a small number of people who make all of the money. And you see these themes where, you know, it's it's not shocking to me that a number of the people who've made a lot of the money over the last few years have been working on their mindset with me or someone else in poker. Um, if you read Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Titans, um, oh, no, it's not the same. I can't think of the name. It, something Tools like of Titans. Tool, Tools of the Titans, yeah. Um, I think he says 80% of the people he interviewed mentioned that they have a daily meditation practice. Um, nearly everyone I meet who's highly successful has a personal trainer and works out multiple times a week. It, it, these are people whose their time is really, really valuable, and they're investing their time in working on their mindset, meditation, and working on their physical body. They're doing that for a reason. It, without it, it, just makes sense to copy the most successful people in the world. Like that. Is, yeah, why wouldn't you? It's completely rational to me, you know. And there are other people who you know they're not quite reaching that level of success and they're like well i'm too busy to work out i'm too busy to meditate it's like well this guy running a billion dollar company can make time to exercise and meditate i promise you he's got more going on than you have what's the story of was it gandhi i think gandhi um had a lot of pools on his time and his people are like you know he was meditating an hour a day and they're like you you can't you, you can't you just have too many things to do you've got too many meetings too many people to talk to he said, oh, well, if, if that's the case, I need to meditate two hours a day now. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's it's the, the focus. And as far as meditation goes, you know, there's a lot of information, a lot of data now 
that shows just how impactful and beneficial it is to the brain. Um, 20 years ago when folks were doing it, there wasn't this data that they could look to, but they did it and they felt it. And like, that is enough. Just do it. You will feel the results. You'll feel your awareness improving in certain situations where, you know, you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, uh, emotionally. Yeah. I mean, it, it, right now it's not really disputable. Um, you know, if you're doing anything competitive and you're not choosing to do some kind of mindfulness exercise, um, you're costing yourself money. Um, even if you're doing well, more likely than not, you can be more successful if you do these things, because as I say, there's just so much evidence for it. Right. And just happier. You know, I think, I think this is, the success is great. The money's great. All these things are great, but just a happy life, a life of fulfillment. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what everybody's looking for. Oh, completely. And, you know, a lot of that is balancing the emotions. And, you know, if you are more balanced and things aren't triggering you and you're not having these roller coaster days where the highs are too high and the lows are terribly low and you know, everyone around you is stressed because they don't know how you're going to be responding. If you can start to curb that, uh, life just becomes much more, much more tolerable for everyone and much more <laughs> for um, sure. And I, I guess another thing sort of to be aware of as we're talking about these very hot, big highs and low lows, the majority of the, the very successful people I'm working with now aren't now coming to me with extreme issues. So what I've noticed is the people who are at the very top of the game, be it in poker or in business, they're looking to fine tune. So they're looking to go from you know 95% of everything is good so they want to get to 97, 98%, 99%, and then just keep refining and refining and refining. And that's something that stands out to me for those people who really are reaching those highest levels of performance. It's this, they're not in crisis when they reach out. They're, they're, they're already very successful. They're already doing well. And they're like, there's something that's slightly off. And I just think if I make this slight adjustment, then that might be a multiplier for me. And you know, this is something where I've heard a lot of people say, Hey, I don't want to talk to a therapist because, you know, things are okay. Right. Talk to a therapist unless things are excellent. And I'm, I'm not talking about working with me necessarily, but if things are okay, why not work until they're excellent? Don't wait until you're in a crisis and you're going to be using someone to get you from crisis to okay. You're much better off going from okay to good to excellent. And, you know, the crisis brings you down to good again. Does that make sense as sort of a, a process there, bro? For sure. I mean, I, I think that you can sort of see the value in these things too from a, from a person that's like, oh, I'm at 95%, but there's more. I have more work to do. I, I still need to improve. And then there are other folks that are operating at like 30%. They get smashed. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it, they're in crisis mode with no real background, no um, foundation for working their way through that specific crisis. And at that point, I found that in life, if you're not prepared for the crisis, when the crisis strikes, there's no time for preparation at that point. You're in it. Um, and then you just have to live with the results. Yeah. What's the most unexpected thing that's come from doing business with folks in the poker world? Um, I, I guess the, the most unexpected thing um, was the fact that, you know, prior to doing this, I'd, I'd barely played poker. So poker became a very dominant part of my business um, until about two years ago. It was probably 80% of the work I did was specifically poker. 
And it's quite interesting moving into, you know, a, a subculture, which I knew very little to zero about. And then seeing that this process of resolving emotions, even with virtually no technical knowledge of the game, could suddenly change people's results, like these dramatic shifts in their win rates and how many tournaments they're winning and all of these things. And then, you know, sort of learning the game to some extent myself and playing for fun now. Um, but that, that was probably the biggest surprise is coming into something um, relatively green and, um, and yeah, just being able to, to see these enormous changes once these emotions have been resolved. And I guess the other thing that stands out on the same sort of theme is almost every different subject that I move into. So I've worked with UFC champions. I've worked with Olympians. Um, I've worked, like I say, the guys on Wall Street, um, people with their different businesses that they're running. All of the problems are virtually identical. The sessions, a poker session versus a UFC session versus a trading session, um, it's self-sabotage, it's fear of failure, it's confidence issues, it's entitlement issues. Nothing changes. Everyone's the same. Um, it doesn't, doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It's, these things are just a human condition. And if you can help people resolve those issues, then their results improve because it's these issues, especially the fear of failure one, um, that typically are holding people back from being their best selves and reaching the top of their industry. Do you have a mental game coach yourself? And what yeah. does what does your process for improving your your mental game look like? Um, so, in terms of well, a lot of the things that you mentioned actually. So, in terms of my own, I've used a, a hypnotherapist every other week for the last seven years. So, you know, I practice what I preach from that side. Um, I have a second hypnotherapist I also use, um, who we trade out sessions if it's like a, a peak performance issue. Um, I, I use someone else. Um, I also have weekly massages. I have a personal trainer four times a week. What else do I do? Like a form of Reiki that I go to once a month. Um, I, I basically do a lot of different things in terms of trying to make sure my brain and my mindset's in the right place. And I see it as an evolution and a progression. I will be on this journey forever. I will never reach a stage where I say I'm done and there's nothing left to do because I just don't believe that's how things work. Um, I'm obviously things are going well and I'm happy and family life's good and such, but I just think you can always keep refining and refining and refining. And because I've seen that being the case with so many successful people, like I said earlier, I'm just, I'm just copying the people who I've seen be most successful. And I'm fortunate enough to have spoke, you know, I've spoke to a lot of people who've done very, very well. And there are just these themes. And I mean, as I keep talking about mindset, but that the general health and fitness it's just such a theme for for successful people that they they take their health really seriously and you know that's just something i felt you know i have to copy this so i use my trainer four times a week and i go twice a week myself oh and then i do there's like a, a shop here that does stretching uh, i've started doing that about a month ago where you just do twice a week you do like just stretching exercises so yeah i do i do a lot in terms of of maintenance of myself as well i just think it's important and it's good that you know you 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 walk the walk, right? You walk the walk, I you talk to. the talk. You, you have to, yeah. You you don't you don't have a choice. But I mean, what's have you tried something that didn't work out for you that you you stopped doing? The only thing that I, I was sort of hopeful for. So I, I test random things as well. There's something called neurofeedback, um, which gets quite a lot of good press. 
for me personally, uh, I went to neurofeedback. I, I didn't feel it very beneficial. And I actually, I rarely ever get migraines. And I had a migraine after a couple of the sessions. And that was something where I'd had some clients who were trying it and they were getting good results. But for me personally, it actually stimulated headaches. And for me, that was something I didn't want to continue. And again, this sort of process of testing things, seeing how they work, and then if it is obviously pr- providing great benefit, then just yeah. keep doing it. I mean, for people that are afraid of meditation, just try it for a week. Just try it five minutes a day and see how you feel afterwards. You know, that's that's the best way to learn is through experience. Experiential learning is the best. And, and with the meditation one, the, the big criticism that often comes up with meditation is someone says, I can't meditate because I can't stop thinking. It, it's actually the, sort of the best sort of meditation is the early meditation. So you're looking to let go of your thoughts. And every time you do that within a meditation, so the thought comes and then you manage to let it go, that's like doing a rep in the gym. So as you become really well practiced, there will be less thoughts, but to some extent, that's actually less reps. You're, you're actually doing less reps than the beginner who a thought comes, they have to let it go. A thought comes, they have to get back to their breathing. Thought comes. So the beginner who thinks they're bad at meditation is probably getting the best change. Yeah, they're getting the most value. Exactly. So um, so those people out there think, oh, I can't meditate. You're probably actually having an enormous value gain. Um, just five minutes of doing that, bringing yourself back to your breath, back to your breath, back to your breath. It's a lot of reps a beginner can do, whereas someone who's done a lot of practice, they might only get a couple of reps in that five minutes. And if you think of focus and awareness as a thing that can be improved, just like your body, you go to the gym, you lift weights, you you lift more weights, you lift more weights, you get stronger over time. Um, Like you said, it's just reps. You recognize the thought and you just let it go. And eventually your awareness grows and grows and grows. And this spills over to again, poker and many, many areas in life. Okay. So when you think about joy in your career, helping poker players, what's the first memory that comes to mind? There, there have been so many, uh, I, I guess the first, first ones that start, I mean, the, the Scott winning the, the main event was a really fun moment. That, that was something, you know, I was hopeful for that I would have in my career at some point is having a client win the main event. And that really felt like putting a stamp on things. I mean, obviously there's huge variance in the main event, um, but that was a really fun moment. Um, How'd you feel watching him, watching him at the final table play? Yeah. I mean, it it was exciting. You know, there's a lot of adrenaline in those moments. It was a lot of fun. Um, And then seeing the people come up who weren't successful poker players, who I saw rise really through the ranks. And I mean, I think sort of the, the Fedor story uh, was a ton of fun. He'd been successful online. He hadn't won anything live before we started working. And then we saw this huge ascension and, and it was a ton of fun to be part of that journey. Yeah, let's and get then, Fedor on here. I don't, I don't know his, his full story. Um, <laughs> I'll hit him up for you. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. And then, um, and then the same sort of work with Alex Foxen. And I, I saw the same, literally the same process happening with the second client and to have it happen with multiple clients almost, you know, it went sort of from federal being number one in the world. Then I think someone else came in and then sort of Alex took over seeing that twice in a row was an amazing experience. And I've, I've run well as well. You know, I'm aware that there's, there's luck involved, but it has been incredible watching so many people reach sort of the top of the game. 
And I find there's this interesting correlation between just the type of people that would seek you out in the first place are likely going to be more successful because they, they're the type of people that are going to seek you out, right? It's like the people that read baby books, like, are they better parents because of the book itself or because they're the type of person <laughs> that buys the book in the first place, I'm, right? And I do really think that that's something about the sort of results as well. Um, there is something to be said that someone who's looking to work on their mindset and will seek out a hypnotherapist to work on their mindset, they're probably doing everything to be the best they can be. You know, they just are. So, you know, this, this sort of the results I've seen, there's some percentage of it that the people who are willing to do everything to be the best are the ones who are going to be the best. And, you know, that's, that's again, just reality. It's just copying those at the top. And, you know, now there are more people coming up and one of the things they're copying is people working on their mindset in some sense. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, especially for you and your business. <laughs> it's a good thing for people just in general and poker players specifically, because there's a lot of stress, a lot of pain that goes on in a poker player's career, um, yeah. which leads me to the sort of opposite question. When you think of pain in your career helping poker players, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I mean, this is actually outside of, of poker, if that's okay. I'm just, yeah, yeah, just go for it. Career. Um, there's definitely, early on, I worked with quite a few people in fighting, in the UFC, a few boxers, people like that. And seeing, you know, people don't always win. And seeing the realities of people getting injured in fights, they're not really getting paid enough money to justify the injuries that they're picking up. Um, and now I'll actively say, you know, I've had fighters reach out and I've said, I'm not really interested in working with new clients in that industry now, just because... Yeah, from a moral perspective, like just watching it and seeing how they're being treated by the companies and things, it, it's just uncomfortable for me. So it was a lot of fun. I worked with some people who had some enormous success, but the sort of the dark side of those sorts of sports is actually really quite dark. And as I say, the money doesn't really justify what's happening to people. And that's definitely from my point of view, that's when I think of the most painful part. It was seeing people who I like, people who are working really hard, yeah, to have some quite nasty, you know, not terrible injuries, but enough that it's not nice and then not being paid enough or treated well enough by the companies involved in it. So that's really just the first thing that comes up when you, when I think of discomfort around the industry. And when it comes to mental anguish, I, that has to be such a brutal, brutal profession to deal with mentally. I, I We talked about, I think in the pre-interview about... I love seeing the process from, you know, point A to point B and, you know, somebody doesn't end up, somebody doesn't just start at the final table. There's a journey there. There's a narrative, there's stories of how they got there. And I've thought about this so many times watching professional fighters that they get in the octagon or the cage and they get knocked out in 46 seconds and they've trained for six to eight weeks for this fight. And then they just get destroyed. And what mentally, like, that has to be just super, super hard to deal with and get over. And especially if they have, like, a win bonus, right? They're incentivized to win. Almost all, almost all of them, they, you know, you get half the money if you lose. So you've lost half your money. You're probably injured. You know, it's, it's unbelievably tough, um, those sports. You have, have to be at the top there you have no choice yeah and that's one where you really yeah you do have to be number one in the world to make semi-decent money well it's good money now but you know 10 years ago it wasn't even if you were the top 
it wasn't even great money really and yeah it's just it's a reality of it and there is a need for people to be working with on their mindsets in those sports but as i say from a personal perspective it's something i no longer i'll, I'll help clients who i've worked with in the past but i'm not looking for more clients it's not something i'm looking to encourage any longer yeah there's a real need to pay these guys more money oh yeah and give them more opportunity because they are the brand they are they are everything they're the lifeblood of all of these operations what is up you future star of poker you coach brad here and i just wanted to take a moment to let you know about pkc poker if you're sitting there wondering to yourself why why is coach brad promoting this pkc poker app thing allow me a moment to explain my why battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years it's how i survive and put food on the table for my family which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I have tried almost all of the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, have come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find success against seemingly weak competition and, in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What on earth was going on, right? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and superusing their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed to be on a level playing field to return to my crushing ways. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play online poker somewhere. And I want to be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer for me. I love you, I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to enhanceyouredge.com slash pkcpod and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code to play and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash pkcpod to get your invite code. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. What's something you feel that folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? I, I guess probably what, they act, what the dream is. So what's the reason for it? Um, so what's their why? What's their personal, like... How do they go about what, finding that why if they don't know? I think really to start breaking down you know what do you want out of life what do you want your life to look like um you know there are there are guys who i'll talk to them you know what's your dream well you know i want to get i want to play the highest stake tournaments okay well, what do you want your life like and they'll say oh well i also want to have a family life 
<laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, and the problem is that they haven't necessarily always thought it through. That the reality is, if you want to be on the circuit, you're going to be traveling the world, and it's not easy to bring a baby and a wife around the world. There are some people who do it, but it's a lot more difficult. Um, so it's just things like that. You know, I'd really think about what's your true personal poker vision. So what do you want your life to look like? And then try and fulfill your personal poker vision rather than necessarily you know, a grand vision of, I, I need to be playing in the high rollers. That There are just things that go with that that means it's not suitable for everyone in the lifestyle that they want. And it's different things are suitable at different ages as well. So you might want to be traveling the world and doing 100 flights a year when you're 22. But when you're 35, it, it can be a lot less attractive yes. to be... Uh, to be I'm, flying around doing that. I'm 35, and that doesn't seem very attractive to me at the moment, <laughs> um, flying around the world. And, and I, uh, again, in something we spoke about in the pre-interview, my friend uh, Adam Creek, the Olympic gold medalist, I asked him, how do folks pursue this goal of like being an Olympian, being at the top of their game while also balancing being a parent? And his answer was very simple. You don't. You just don't make it work. It's one or the other. You you're, you can't reach the top of your profession without dedicating everything you have to that profession. Um, I guess you could be a crappy partner, you could be a crappy parent, um, and still pursue that thing. But you're not going to be you're not going to be the best in the world, exceptional at both at the same time. Yeah, it, it's very difficult. Yeah, and not everyone wants to hear that stuff. You know, there's this. I've heard it said before that typically champions have to be selfish. You know, and I think this is why we see when people reach the top of their spots, it's not rare for people to retire and look to do something else and rebalance their life. Um, because the other thing to be aware of is it doesn't necessarily the sort of the success, the getting the X amount of money or becoming the world champion doesn't necessarily lead to a happy life. And, you know, that's something I've, I've interviewed Fedor on that. Obviously, it's known that he retired after his very significant success, 2015, 2016. And um, he spoke a lot in that interview about, you know, this idea of it, it, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a suddenly everything's better and everything's great. And he's now much more into community and helping people and new projects and things. And there's a lot more satisfaction in that. So, yeah, there's, there's fulfillment. Yeah. And again, going back to the Olympic analogy, there's tons of cases of Olympians who get their gold medal and then it's like, now what? Like, what do I do now? Like, it, you know, you get the fulfillment, you get the joy of it happening. And then afterwards, you don't have a plan. And w what do I do now? Like, I, w I win the WSOP main event and I'm still unhappy. Like, there's this existential crisis of like, oh, my God, I've, I'm at the top of the ladder and I'm still unhappy. Like, what do I do with my life? And I, another thing that I see uh, all the time is playing higher stakes cash games Poker players a lot of time times want to be businessmen, and businessmen want to be poker players. Like that, it always cracks me up when I see like a seventy-year-old businessman who's made millions and millions, and he's spending his time playing poker. And all these poker players are spending their time playing poker, dreaming of starting a business. And, and I just see that as lack of fulfillment in self. They're they're chasing something, they're chasing that fulfillment without realizing that it's not it's not going to be the thing that that gives them this joy and that the success no i mean it doesn't it won't solve any problems it makes for a better life and sure it's, you know, it's better to be 
a successful poker player than a struggling struggling poker player. You know, of the two options, it's much better you're at the higher end. um, Right, for sure. But it's better Um, to be a fulfilled poker player too. But but that's the thing. I think it's that fulfillment just in any part of life. Um, The sort of accepting the external things won't really make you happy. It's all about the internal. You know, if you can be happy with yourself, uh, whether you're struggling or whether you're exceptionally successful, it's it's that sort of self-love and being able to tolerate yourself. You know, how do you feel when you're alone for the day? You know, and if you're desperate to talk to people because you don't like your own company, you know, you should be doing a lot of meditation and you should be talking to someone. You should be working on this stuff and putting 100% focus into becoming the best in the world and trying to make a set amount of money because you think it's going to fix this way you feel about yourself. That won't fix that. Um, you know, it's this other effort of, like you say, trying to find fulfillment, trying to work on yourself, creating the self-love. That's where you see the the people who are most comfortable in their own skin and generally the, the happiest. And creating emotional goals too. What is this money for? What am I working for? Is it to take care of my family? Is it to give back to society? Is it to help people? What's the goal, the purpose of this money, these bracelets, um, this career in general is probably something people don't uh, don't think about as much as they should. And what do you think people spend too much time thinking about who are chasing their poker dreams? Other people's results. <laughs> Just a hundred percent. Like the amount of people who are worried about how well their friends are doing or how well some reg is doing in the games um, or the Twitter drama that goes on, you know, well, there's a lot of malice in the poker community, the wasted energy of the Twitter, you know, I think in those sorts of things, especially the jealousy stuff. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think they they get so jealous? Well, obviously, a lot of the stuff is like I've discussed the entitlement from childhood. Um, it's a game where you can work incredibly hard and then not be rewarded. And you can see someone else who hasn't worked very hard be rewarded. The thing that players often don't notice is, yes, there might be a fish on a heater who's doing really well. But 97% of terrible players are making no money at all. And you're noticing the person who's an outlier. And I think that's the the situation where you notice the outliers in poker and you don't see the failures. And I think that creates a lot of this, you know, hey, but I'm working so hard. They're not working so hard. They're being rewarded. But, you know, you're missing. You're not seeing all the people who've just lost all the money that they earned this week at the poker table because the majority of poker players are losing poker players. That's how the economy works. And stories don't really get written about no, the, guy, no, the guy that busts in 892nd place. Exactly. Um, yeah. No one reads that story and, you know, it doesn't get <laughs> It's probably not, probably not a super compelling story. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's it, what's it like an actionable thing that folks can do if maybe they are jealous, maybe they are getting involved in the toxicity of social media that, that you would suggest to help that right away. Maybe it's just a bandaid. Ask yourself why. Like, why are you spending time on Twitter criticizing people, going through forums, writing negative posts? You know, if you're, if you're doing the negative stuff, really, really think to yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I putting negativity out there? What does this mean about me that I have to say something mean to try and make myself feel better? So that would be the first thing, just sort of really question yourself. And then if you're struggling to stop, I would probably say give yourself a bit of a break from social media or forums, depending on where you're doing it. And just decide, hey, I'm not going to use it anymore and see how you feel after two weeks. And, you know, what does your poker game look like if you've been studying instead of spending two hours a day on Twitter? 
but what changes do you actually see over the year? Because it's unlikely there's very much on social media that's genuinely going to improve your game or improve your life. <laughs> and, you know, from the amounts of comments and things, I, I think there are a lot of people who are spending a lot of burning a lot of hours and a lot of energy on things that just aren't creating any positivity or gain for anybody. hundred percent. And again, it's developing an awareness, just the awareness to ask yourself why I think can be a very difficult thing, a very difficult question for people to ask themselves, um, which, you know, goes back to a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? I guess, I mean, it's, it's, I almost don't consider it advice. It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess the first one is the, the sort of the playing through and taking the playing the crazy hours and not taking any breaks. So there are some players who, you know, will encourage friends or try themselves um, to just, you know, try and play 12 hours a day, every day, seven days a week. And I just see this burnout cycle which is it's guaranteed to happen. Like I rarely, I, I don't see anyone not burn out when they do it and they have a really good month financially. They work crazy hours and they're like, I've made X amount of money and it's a huge month. So they try and do it for a second month and somewhere between the second and the third month of not taking any breaks and working crazy hours, they implode because they're living for poker and they've got nothing else in their life it's even more devastating because they connect themselves to their results. So then it's like multiplied and then they spiral down even further. And then usually they have to either move down in stakes or they have to go and take a vacation for six weeks. And then they come back to the game again and they repeat the same cycle. And that's the one that I've seen. I've seen it repeated a lot. Another one, it was popular more when people were trying to do the supernova elite run, but there's something called polyphasic sleep. And this is when you try and reduce your sleeping hours. And there were people trying to reduce their sleeping hours down to two hours a day. Um, And I've yet to see anyone be successful and yet to have anyone not have their win rate impacted dramatically, trying to cut their sleep down to a few hours a day. So again, sometimes they see some, some payoff early on as they reduce their sleeping hours. And then as we see it over the month, it, it just devastates them. So that was another one way. Yeah. If you think, Hey, it's a good idea to try and sleep for two hours a day. I mean, it's, <laughs> I've just seen it devastate people. Oh, the um, Uber man, the Uber yeah, man. The Uberman, that's the one. Yeah. That's, that's the two hour one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so they're really the main ones. It's, it's this idea that, you know, it's working smarter is a lot better than working harder. And it, it's quite similar to the, the work with athletes as well, where athletes want to train every day, typically, but, you know, part of my job when I'm working with athletes is teaching them that that's, that day off a week is actually still a working day. That recovery day is the day when you heal and when you improve. And um, in poker, it's exactly the same thing. And, you know, players have to accept that. So beneficial to sleep well at night, get enough yeah. sleep so that your brain can function because the brain's kind of an important tool when playing poker poker, right Uh, and something i i talked about this i can't remember to who but basically the brain about these 12 hour sessions um the brain is an energy hog number one it's three percent of our body mass and consumes 25 percent of our energy so think about how much energy you're consuming playing 12 hours a day every single day um, it's no wonder that eventually your brain is your brain and your body are like, okay, I'm not dealing with this stress anymore. 
Well, and I think the key part of that is when someone's trying to do that, everything else falls apart. So they're not doing their meditation. They're probably not exercising. The things they need to do. Yeah, most of the time they're ordering pizza in instead of having a decent, decent nutrition. So all the other foundations that will allow someone to be successful all drop away because they're desperately trying to almost take a shortcut, a time shortcut to reach the top. And every now and again, it works out for someone and it gets widely publicized. And, you know, this is how they did it. I worked super hard. This happened. Um, But again, you just don't see the 95% of people who, you know, tried to cut their sleep down and it just devastated their bankroll because people don't talk about that. That's not the exciting post to put on the forum or on Twitter. And, you know, so when it, when it devastates people, you never hear about it. Um, but when it works out, it gets publicized. It's a bit like when people take huge shots with their bankroll. You hear about the guys who get lucky and that's how they made it to the next stage of their career. You don't hear about the majority who that huge shot actually changed the quality of their life. And, you know, they, again, they're not as public when things don't go well. Um, so there's a bias in the information that we receive. For sure. And not a lot of folks that want to be vulnerable, especially in a public forum. Nobody wants to admit failure publicly on 2 plus 2. They're just going to sort of go into a hole and not talk to anybody. And it's very important. A very important thing that that you said, too, is the foundation that gets us to this point, right? Um, I, I think there's this thing that can happen to us as human beings. Like, oh, I'm meditating, I'm working out, I'm kicking ass, my body's in great shape. Now I'm going to play cards 12 hours a day. And then you you start going and then you're like, well, you know, I'm already in good shape. I don't need to go to the gym. Uh, I'm feeling good mentally. I don't need to meditate. And, And you get away from the things that get you to that point in the first place. And then all of a sudden you just can't handle it and you struggle and you start falling apart. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pitfalls in the mental and emotional aspects of this game that uh, that the audience and myself loves so much. I think it's what makes it attractive. You know, it's the pitfalls. Um, yeah, the the stress, the um, the emotions, the fact that it does trigger people. That there is that sort of and that component of luck that means it's a viable economy. So if there was no, you know, people would say, oh, I wish there was no luck in poker. I got paid for my skill. That's chess. Go and play chess. See how much money you can make. Yeah, best of luck. Good luck there. Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth of it. You know, there's a few people, a tiny number of people who make money and there's not money anywhere else. You know, there aren't, you know, places you can go where there's a hundred people playing chess for $10,000 on the table and, you know, there's weak chess players playing, but poker You'll get people sitting down and because of the luck factor that's involved, there's an opportunity to make money and have a career for it. But that's the thing that people complain about. You know, players complain about the fact it's unfair, but it's the unfairness that actually makes makes it possible to do have a living. Yeah, it's the, it's the thing that makes the game. It is the yeah. one aspect of the game that makes it a profession that has built up a market around it is, you know, the moneymaker effect, right? Like he yeah. wasn't a pro. He got involved. He was an amateur who ran pretty good in the main event, took it down. And then that's the story that people buy into is that, I oh, I'm, I'm an amateur. I could play in the WSOP, the main. I could win a satellite and I could I win could the whole thing. I could beat yeah. those guys, right? That's that's the element that draws people in. And yeah, sometimes variance is a son of a bitch that punches you in the face and it sucks and it doesn't feel good and it's easy to get negative and feel angry. 
But there would be no feeling at all without that variance. There would be no feeling at all without that luck. Yeah, you'd be working a job. Correct. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the truth of it. Like every time you complain about there being variance in poker, remember if there wasn't, you'd be working some other job. You'd be doing something completely different. Because yeah, if, the, if there wasn't luck, then you know Phil Helmuth would have all the money, and nobody would even <laughs> want to play. Um, <laughs> uh, if you could gift all poker players a book, what book would that be, and why? Oh, easy, um, Art of Learning, Josh Wojcicki. So basically, I, I, I took the question from Tim Ferriss, and then you're giving me a Tim Ferriss guy right back in my face. Oh man, like that book for poker, I think is the best non-poker book. It's the best poker book, and it's not about poker. I've read it three times, I think. Oh, there we go. Okay, so I'm preaching to the converted here. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I just think there's so much in there about preparing yourself mentally for competition, the subtle edges that you can find in in anything, in the way that you learn and the way that you perform that can give you the edge over the field. And I mean, the fact that he took the lessons that he learned from chess and then applied them to martial arts to become a world champion in a second seemingly disconnected subject I, I just think it's such powerful lessons for poker players that that that's a book i would just say right away if you haven't read it give it a read start doing some of the meditation exercises if you're not already meditating they're relatively simple the ones from that book yeah i just think for me that's the, the go-to answer for for what book poker players should read um, i think it, it will have if if you're not really working on your mindset it will have a significant impact on the way that you view the game and your competitiveness. Um, and I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Brad? If you've read it a few, three times. And- so number one, my, the thought that was going through my brain just now was I need to read it again. Um, <laughs> but basically it, it, it just, I love the mental aspect of it and how to, how to deal with problems, how there's a story in the book that I remember because stories stick with I think human brains more than more than other things and it was about this woman walking down a sidewalk in New York City and she has her headphones on and a cyclist bumps into her and it annoys her right it pisses her off because this cyclist bumped into her and so her initial reaction is to turn and yell something or battle with the cyclist and in the meantime she she accidentally goes in the road and gets hit by a car Right. And this like reaction, this reactivity um, that we experience in life, this this feeling that like, you know, it's like you play poker and you lose half your stack. And then now all of a sudden, mentally, you've lost half your stack. How do I get that back? How do I get back to to where I just was? You're not where you, you just were. You are where you are right now. And it's a different situation. And now, you know, you have to let that go mentally. Um, and just move forward. You know, like if the woman in on the sidewalk example didn't react in the way that she did and sort of had awareness uh, of what was going on, then that could have been avoided, right? And it's just such a, a story that stuck with me as I go about it and, and do just things in my daily life, play cards that um, have awareness, don't overreact in these types of situations because sometimes if you overreact and lose your mind and do something ridiculous, um, you can metaphorically get hit by a car. And I think the example you used there with the losing half your stack is perfect for this. Um, you know, poker tournaments, how many players in a poker tournament are at some point the chip leader? Like, there's a lot normally. You know, someone doesn't chip lead from the beginning to the end. All Very rare. Those, 
all of those guys think they should have won the tournament. And <laughs> most of them, when they um, lose half their stack, because it's going to happen, your stack's going to go up and down throughout the tournament, desperately chase to try and get their chip lead back. And the people who are successful, like you say, they go, oh, my new, I've got this number of big blinds instead. What do I do in this situation? It's a new puzzle for me to solve. The difference between someone who sees a puzzle and moves to the next hand, it's just a number of big blinds, versus the person who's become attached to being the chip leader, it's a dramatic edge. And you know, I think that is a wonderful example you, you had there. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I, uh, I don't know where it came from. I'm going to give the gratitude to the art of learning in helping me. Uh, <laughs> by, the <book. laughs> by the book. It is a really great book, and I do need to read it again. What's something that the, the folks listening would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? What are we bad at, Elliot? I'm just thinking what they'd be surprised I'm bad at. <laughs> That's probably one that would be most surprised. <laughs> so I've worked in the poker industry. If you see me at a poker table in Las Vegas, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Get that Fedor Holtz money. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, sit down if you see me. So I guess probably that would be the biggest surprise um, in terms of things that I'm terrible at. I'm trying to think what else. I'm dyslexic. Um, so, you know, my, my written English is, is sometimes a bit of a struggle. Um, so, so that's probably another one. I enjoy reading. It doesn't impact that. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're probably the main, main surprise ones, I guess. Um, but certainly, yeah, if you see me at a poker table in Vegas, <laughs> get on the list. Fun. I'm there for fun. Yeah. Get on the list. <laughs> just take a, take a picture of Elliot and give it to the floor guys and make <laughs> yeah. sure that when he walks in the room, get your name on that yeah. list straight I away. I won't get tilted, but, <laughs> but I also probably won't win. So. Exactly. He'll be a great sport <laughs> yeah. and he'll lose. It's like yeah. the perfect person. Exactly. Um, if you could erect a billboard, that every poker player had to drive past, what would it say? It would say, you are the casino. And why is that? Because every time you go and play, you've got a choice. You can either be the casino or you can be the gambler. So you're either sitting there and you're playing the game the way that you know is correct. And you're sort of placing your bets correctly and you're staying emotionless or you're there for fun and you're the gambler and you're, hoping to get lucky. And if you start to see it that, you know, you're just running blackjack and you're not allowed to hit on 18 in the same way that if you're not, if your poker strategy, you're there, you've got to follow your strategy. And if you stop following your strategy because of emotional reasons, you're no longer the casino, you're the gambler. And I think that's a mindset that when I've seen players adopt that mindset, that, you know, there's a big difference between looking at the long term as a casino and seeing that you're looking to make your money over the year or the gambler who's looking to make their money in that hand or that session, uh, it's a dramatic edge that you can take. So it would be that message of you're the casino, you make your money over the long term, doesn't matter what happens today, your only job is to play each hand the way that you know you're supposed to. I think that would be useful for poker players to be aware of before they sat down. For sure. Just the mindset of, you know, not fearing the loss or feeling like lesser of a person if you have a losing session, which can affect volume and the amount of time that you play. Just keeping in mind, you have the edge, you're the casino. So get in there, go battle. The casino doesn't close after they have a losing day and go mope in, in a room in a corner. 
And they also <laughs> um, don't start hitting on 18 to try and get their money. <laughs> That's true. They don't do, they <laughs> yeah. don't do that either. Um, what's a project you're working on? I got three more questions here. Um, project I'm working on. Um, what, uh, yeah, a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart. And it doesn't have to be business. It could be a charity, whatever. Um, well, I mean, the biggest, the, the, the next major project I'm going to be doing, I'm, I'm doing more sort of generic work now. So helping people with their lifestyles, helping people in business. And I'll be re- releasing video courses um, around those sorts of subjects. So um, just general confidence, improving your lifestyle, reaching top performance, peak performance, but not necessarily poker specific. So that's really the next big project that I'll be doing and people will be seeing from me over the next year or so. Um, we'll be a move in that direction. So you're sort scaling. Of yeah, so scaling, um, as I say, most poker's dropped a lot in terms of the amount of work I'm doing now. I've released a video course with Run It Once last year. I wanted to have something out there where if I was no longer in the poker industry, I was still able to help people with what I've learned over the last, you know, nine or 10 years. It's very um, generous. Well, you know, it's obviously it's business as well, but it's, I, I wanted to have something out there. I've done that project and now I want to make a similar, similar product, but sort of more general. I, I'd like to stay, you know, with poker to some extent, but I've got to be realistic. It's, it's not going to be as much in the future with me working more with like, businessmen and things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the current project that's on in the background. Well, you did too well. Your guys took all the money from poker. That's the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, do you have a URL, um, for this project? Do you have a price um, point? Yeah. I mean, I've got, so I've got a podcast, um, the A Game Advantage podcast. You can look it up on, on, uh, iTunes and such. And then there's also elliotrow.com is my sort of general coaching site, or I've got pokermindcoach.com, which is poker specific. So it really depends. I'm guessing the audience here is probably poker specific. Um, so it'd be pokermindcoach.com. And my mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she can go to elliotrow.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and whenever you do launch, um, you get your URL and you have all the things, reach out to me, let me know, and I'll be happy to add it to the show notes. I'll be happy to promote it on all of my channels. Oh, appreciate it, man. Let's fast forward, and we may have discovered this, but let's, let's fast forward 15 years into the future. What are your accomplishments going to be? I mean, I, you're going to laugh, but certainly the first thing is I, I just want to have brought my children up well. Now we have twin girls, like that's number one. Um, so I've been a good parent over those because they'll be 20 then. And I guess I've probably got some idea of judging. How <laughs> we got some data there, some <laughs> feedback. Find, yeah, we'll find out how my philosophies actually work out. Past that point in business, I, I love helping people. Um, I know I'm in the right job because genuinely, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd be doing it for free. So I just, I know I'm in the right career from that point of view. So whatever's happened in my career, I'll still be working with people. So long as I'm capable of working with people, um, that will just continue. I'd like to have a couple of books out and just sort of spread this message of we're, we're running programs, like all that's happening, every stress you have, every fear, every, all of those things is just a learned program that you're running. And these are adjustable. You're not just an angry person. You're someone who learned to be angry. You're not an anxious person. You're someone who's learned to be anxious. And sort of spreading that message over the next, you know, decade or so 
is something that I want to be a part of. And there are other people spreading this message as well. And I just want to be part of that movement of trying to help improve people's lives. I mean, if um, people are out there, I do have an app, Primed Mind. Um, lots of the stuff in there is free. I think there's like 40 sessions in it for free. Download it and try it and see if it has an impact on you. Um, because as I say, I'm looking to sort of spread that message in terms of success wise, I, I don't know what will happen business wise. You know, things are going well at the moment. It's fun. I've you know, had lots of adventures with people winning different stuff in different sports and poker. And, you know, so that side of things, it would be nice to see continued success um, for my clients in that way. Um, but I think the main thing is sort of spreading this message of helping people understand you're not stuck where you are. Don't pretend you're stuck where you are if you haven't seeked help for it. And some of these more interesting things like hypnotherapy is a little bit off the wall still. I think it's going to be more mainstream by that point in 15 years. Um, but if you haven't tried these things, you know, it it can be not particularly expensive. Go and try it. You know, as I say, obviously I'm more money now, but that was just because I was getting so many people asking to work with me that it was just impossible to continue. Um, so Supply and demand. Supply and demand, yeah. So you've got X amount of hours a week you can work. And I found that, you know, this works well for me and it means my clients who are playing with, you know, half a million dollars on the table weekly, uh, you know, they get to have sessions when they want to have sessions. But there are plenty of good hypnotherapists out there. Um, There are plenty of good therapists, counselors, people doing CBT, EMDR is another one. If you're feeling like you're in a stuck place, reach out and try these things before you say it's just how you are. So that's really... The next 15 years, the sort of message that I'd like to share. And I can't think of any any worthy things, any worthier things to pursue. I, I think that's amazing. And I'm not going to laugh at, at your daughters. I have daughters myself. So I, I do know that you being you and your daughters ending up basket cases and <laughs> completely insane would not be good for business <laughs> that would not be a good I'll, I'll be no, honest i'd have bigger concerns than my business. yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it would not be good personally it would not be good professionally um it just would not be good all around but um yeah our, our children they're, they're obviously the future of the world and they have our genes and so we root for them and we want yeah, and you their, just want their, to feel you've done a good job you know yeah of course you want their happiness and success way more than you want your own it's oh, a mm-hmm. it's a higher goal it's an emotional goal that is very easy and yeah i think it's you know it's ultra worthy it's one of my goals too that my kids turn out okay that they they get out of their adolescence and into adulthood strong and confident and way more way stronger way more confident than i ever was and just live a way better life than I've lived. I, I think that as a parent, that just seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, well, as I say, it's top of my list for sure. You're the man. So final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? And I know we've probably said them all at this point, but uh, <laughs> so, let's put them all together. Put them all together. So I think Twitter is Elliot Rowe, at Elliot Rowe 1. Uh, Instagram is Elliot Rowe. And then elliotrow.com, pokermindcoach.com. The app is called Primed Mind. And the podcast, I've got a poker podcast called the Mindset Advantage Podcast. I think there's about 110 episodes of that one now. Um, And then there's a more just general performance one 
called the A Game Advantage podcast, and that's more sort of athletes, business people, um, the odd poker player, but if it's poker specific audience, mindsetadvantage.com, and there's a load of episodes of that. Awesome, man. And all of this will be in the show notes for those listening right now. Just such a pleasure and honor having you on here, my man. Um, in the next 18 months, whenever that project gets up in the air, please come back on, have another talk, and, and we can talk about that project um, and all those details. Awesome. Well, appreciate it. Thank you so much. For Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to enhanceyouredge.com slash pkcpod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash pkcpod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Great. Thank you.